But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So here we are uh, back in the in the book of Acts. We took a one week respite from it last uh, Sunday. And, uh, you know, if you missed if you missed last week's message, I would encourage you to go online at NorthHillsBaptist.net and and listen to that. I think uh, it was a great challenge. It was a good challenge for me and for all of the rest of us. And I'd hate for all of you who weren't able to be here last Sunday to miss out on that. So that's at NorthHillsBaptist.net. Just click on the listen and uh, you can find it from there. So I want to kind of do a, a really quick review and, and a little bit of a test for you. Um, I have a couple questions here from the book of Acts, and I want to see how, how well you guys remember. First of all, and, and just kind of, you know, you need to shout out because I'm a little bit hard of hearing, um, and especially from some of you soft-spoken folks out there. Uh, I just want you to shout out the answers. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. Very good. Um, what other book did Luke write? He wrote, wrote Luke. That's right. The Gospel of Luke. And, and the Gospel of Luke and Acts are really kind of two parts to... It's like a two-part piece or, uh, or writing. And, and, and we know that at the end of the Gospel of Luke, that uh, Luke uh, sort of overlaps that with the first chapter in the book of Acts. Um, who was Luke? What, what did Luke do? He was a doctor. He was a physician. Um, what nationality was Luke? No, he was not Native American. Good guess anyway. He was Greek. He was a Gentile. Yeah, very good. Um, how do we know that Luke was a physician? Paul said it, right. Luke doesn't ever say what he did or, or, or what, um, that, that he was a physician, but, but Paul does. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul mentions Luke. Luke and Paul were very close friends. They did a lot of ministry together. They traveled together. They lived together um, they were co-workers for the gospel's sake. And, and so we know a lot of the things that, that Luke talks about, especially in the book of Acts, he either had first-hand experience, he was there when it happened, or Paul told him that it happened because Paul, of Paul's experiences. Now, in chapter 1, we saw uh, three things, that Jesus is the center of all things. Jesus is the center of the book of Acts. Um, of course, we know that he is the center of, of all of Scripture and the center of our lives. Um, Jesus is the center that we are witnesses of Him and for Him. And that it's His mission. The mission that we are on, the mission of proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's His mission. It's not my mission. It's not specifically your mission or the mission of North Hills or the church. It's His mission. And we are His missionaries. We, we are uh, members of His team in proclaiming the good news. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus gives us this charge. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we are part of that. We are part of that. Uh, we, we are in this church this morning because the disciples took this initial charge from Jesus carefully, seriously, now, Pastor Ty, 
in week, well, actually, I'm, I don't want to skip chapter 2. Chapter 2, we saw the incredible presence and power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came. There was no doubt that the Holy Spirit came. There was, there was physical evidence. There was people speaking in other languages and, and so forth. Uh, so without a doubt, the Holy Spirit arrived. The Holy Spirit was widely witnessed, and the Holy Spirit brought curiosity. There's people that, that were curious about this. There were people that were curious in a positive way, and there were people that were curious that weren't so positive about it. And we experience that in our lives even today. And then finally, on uh, chapter 2, we talked about the Holy Spirit today, the fact that uh, at salvation, we receive the promised Holy Spirit that the Lord said we would receive, and that we can draw on that power to live our life and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly and to understand Scripture and to be friends to others as they walk the journey of life. And then, two weeks ago, Pastor Ty challenged us to get out of our comfort zones as we looked at the disciples, Peter and John, as they were heading into the temple to worship in chapter 3. They healed a man. He was a cripple. He'd been crippled for 40 years. And, and he was asking them for money. And they said, well, we don't have any money to give you. But Peter says, I have this for you. And he reached down and in the name of Jesus, he grabbed him and, he, and this man was healed. And he was able to walk and run and jump. Ty said that these disciples could have just kind of quietly continued to serve Jesus and worship Him, but they didn't. They boldly proclaimed loudly in public, in the temple, in the streets, that Jesus was the Christ, that He was the Messiah. And not only that, but they took it one step further and they pointed to all of the Jews and, and they said, You killed Him! You killed Jesus! And then... Then they continued and said that, but there's hope because God raised him from the dead. This man that was healed, he, could you imagine, could you imagine having been crippled for 40 years and then being able to walk? Um, I, I can't imagine that. I, I, you know, you hear people tell stories of how they were blind for a long time and then, and then something happened and they were healed and they were able to see and how just amazing it was. I, I would guess that, that this man probably, and it says that he ran, he ran and jumped, and uh, I would guess that he didn't walk anywhere for several months. He probably ran everywhere he went, to the grocery store and, and to the park and where, wherever he went, to the temple and those kinds of things. Um, but Peter and John, they weren't quiet. Uh, they weren't politically correct, if you will. They proclaimed boldly the good news of Jesus Christ and what he was doing. And that's where we pick up the events today. Ty alluded to it a couple weeks ago. Tried to steal my thunder, but I'm going to try and grab it back as we uh, start in Acts chapter 4. Um, turn there with me if you haven't already. We'll begin reading in verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Now, Peter and John are arrested, and they're put in jail. Why? Because they were proclaiming something that the religious elite had determined wasn't real, wasn't true, that people can be resurrected from the dead, that, that in the power of Jesus... That dead people can be alive again. The Sadducees were against it. Interesting side note. The Pharisees believed that. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees did not. And so they are throwing their, 
their religious and political weight around and they have these men, Peter and John, taken and put in jail. Now the disciples knew it was true. They knew that the resurrection of the dead was true. They had seen Jesus dead. They had seen Him killed on a cross. And then, then four, three days later, four days later, weeks later, they had meals with Him. They saw Him alive. And so they knew that it was true. And Jesus had taught them before He was crucified that, that it was in Christ that people would receive salvation. It's, it's because of salvation that our bodies, our bodies will be resurrected one day. And we will be whole. So if Peter and John are put into jail, we see proof here that you can arrest people, but you can't arrest the Gospel. You can arrest people, but you can't arrest the Gospel. These are powerful men that are attempting to shut them up. And they saw the apostles as both agitators and heretics. They were disturbers of the peace. They were enemies of their truth. Now, other translations translate that word differently. The NIV translates it greatly disturbed. The Revised Standard Translation says that, these, that the Sadducees were annoyed with them. And another translation says that they were exasperated. They didn't know what to do with these men who are not only proclaiming this heresy to people, but people are believing it. And, and crazy things are happening. For according to these men, the apostles were teaching, the unauth- they were teaching unauthorized information. And they were unprofessional preachers. They weren't learned. They weren't educated. Which goes to show how much more powerful it is what, what they're doing. But it didn't matter. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we were assured by Luke that the opposition of these men does not hinder and did not hinder the Gospel. Because we read in verse 4 that that many who heard the message believed and that the number of men grew to about 5,000. Okay, I don't know if if men there is just inclusive of everyone or if they didn't count the women and children and that there could be up to three times as many as the 5,000. Now, we aren't likely, I say that tongue-in-cheek, we aren't likely to go to jail, at least in this country, for sharing the Gospel. However, if you, if you were to push a little bit hard in a public setting that our government or, or some of the local government decided wasn't appropriate, there is the possibility, the more I think about it, of somebody, even in our nation, being thrown in jail for preaching the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. But we know for sure in other countries, um, there's a pastor in Iran right now who, who is in jail. Why? Because he was proselytizing. He was teaching people about Jesus. Now, the question I have for us is, we often don't share the good news of Jesus Christ with our friends and our neighbors because of fear. We're afraid. Because we, we, we have to risk a little something when we do that. And, and we've been convinced in our minds that the risk is greater than the reward. We have been convinced in our minds that that this person might not like us anymore. They might reject us. They might not agree with us. They may call us weak and nobody likes to be called weak. They may may say that it's a crutch in our life. And I kind of have the viewpoint that if you have a broken leg and you need a crutch to get around, wouldn't you use the crutch? If I am in need of salvation and I can't rescue myself, wouldn't I 
believe in Jesus as my crutch, if you want to call it that. We might be rejected. They might be uncomfortable around us. They, they, may, they may say that we're weird or we're ignorant. You're not enlightened, right? Come on, what about the enlightenment? Haven't, did you kind of miss that one? Well, anybody in here that's kind of 20 and under you, you did miss that one. But um, no, I didn't miss it. Because the thought that I want you to think that is, is this, isn't it worth it? Isn't it worth the risk? Think about the reward, possible reward, not for you, but for the other person. What if just one of your friends believed? Just one. What if you shared the good news of Jesus Christ with, with a half a dozen people? Or maybe you took the risk one time and that person believed. Wouldn't it be worth the risk of them thinking you're kind of weird or not wanting to talk about that issue anymore in your relationship with them? I say let's take the risk. I say let's ask the Holy Spirit to give us power to, to communicate and, and to, to boldly, with courage, share what God is doing in our lives. Because the disciples certainly did. They're a great example for us. And I don't think that you would be sorry if you did take that risk. So you can arrest people, but you can't arrest the Gospel. Let's read on, verse 5. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest family. Just a note here, that name Caiaphas should sound familiar to you, because Caiaphas was present when Jesus was tried and found guilty of nothing, actually, but sentenced to death. So these men the high priest and these other men, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power of, or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if, you are, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has now become the capstone. It's pretty amazing that whether they were preaching in the temple in a, in a crowded place or answering accusations in court, the focus of the disciples in their answer is not self-preservation. It's not defense. It's honor and glory to God. They were preoccupied with the honor and glory of the Lord, not their own defense. They weren't worried about their own defense. They were only worried about the truth and proclaiming it. What if we, what if we lived our life that way? Where we, won't, we weren't really worried about what somebody else was going to think, but we know what the truth is and, and, and we proclaim it. I think that's a struggle for us in our culture today. You see, we live in a very me-centered culture. Everything is about us. And, and if, if it's not going our way, we just take to social media or whatever and, and, and we try to get our way. And, and that's not what the disciples are doing here. 
You know, we get we get concerned about our safety and our comfort and 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 this this kind of awkward for me to do this and and so I'm not going to do it. We don't really much value the importance of what God wants in our lives. We focus more on what we want in our life. And we wrestle with this, don't we? And 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 to be honest with you, we should wrestle with it. I hope that you wrestle with it. That, that you don't just kind of throw up your hands and give up and give in to the selfishness that, that, your, that your body would like you to have and, and, and you don't just fall into the sense of comfort and, and I'm not going to do anything that's going to make waves, but you do what God tells you to do. And, and, we are, and we bear witness to Jesus Christ that we live our lives abandoned to Jesus just like the disciples did. You know, if, if they were only concerned and worried about self-preservation, would we even be here today? I don't think so. Praise God that they threw caution to the wind and they testified to the truth. Now, I imagine that as they were being arrested and they were being brought before these men who they knew, who they knew what they had done to Jesus, I wonder if they were kind of maybe thinking to themselves, we're in trouble. Um, are, are we going to meet the same fate that Jesus did? Are we going to be crucified? Are we going to be thrown in jail until our bodies rot? What is going to happen to us? They had opportunity to give different answers to the questions. To maybe not tell all of the truth or not tell the complete truth. But they did. Because it didn't matter what they were facing. They knew, they knew what the truth was. They had seen it. They had experienced it. And all they could do is talk about it. Now, this is the third time that Peter has used this graphic formula of you killed him, but God raised him. Um, it's sort of becoming natural for him to say that. And he doesn't care what the response to it is because it's true. Verses 10 and 11, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And I, I don't know if he was intentional in putting that in there either because, because the, the fair, well, everybody knew that nothing good comes from Nazareth. That was a nasty, ugly town. So, I don't know, was, was Peter trying to poke him just a little bit more? Whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. It's because of Jesus that this man can walk, not because of us. It's not our mission. We don't have the healing powers. It's because of Jesus. And then he says, He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Jesus has used this language before. The capstone is what joins two sides of an archway. And when builders are building an archway, they, they have like a, I don't know if they have a pile of capstones or, or what it looked like, but, but they choose different ones and then they see if it fits with this particular archway. And there are times when the builder rejects a capstone. He says, no, it doesn't fit. And he chucks it to the side and he grabs another one. Well, the capstone represents Jesus Christ here. And the disciples are saying, you guys rejected him. You guys rejected him, but in reality, he is the capstone that's holding this all this, that's holding all of this together. It's because of Jesus that the church exists today. He was the original 
capstone. Without Him, there would be no forgiveness. Without Him, we would still be dead to our sin. The disciples knew the truth of what they were saying. They had witnessed it. They had experienced it. The, the Sadducees knew too. There's a, there's a healed man standing right before them. They knew it was better, the disciples did, to be about the honor and glory of God instead of worrying about their own safety and their own comfort and their own defense. So they lived for Him. Let's concern ourselves more with His glory. Let's concern ourselves more with His uh, praise than our own or that of another team that we might choose to cheer for. Let's concern ourselves more with seeking first His kingdom. Not our kingdom, His kingdom. Let's first seek His righteousness and then receive what He gives us with joy and with peace. You know the disciples were a thorn in the side of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day, just as Jesus was. And they don't give up. The thorn goes deeper and deeper, and we're going to talk about that as we look at chapter 5 next week. But the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day, they had long lists of things that were necessary for, for you to do in order to be saved. You know, of course, we know later on as we studied the book of Galatians earlier on last, or I guess towards the middle of last year, we saw how they, they wanted the circumcision was it. You, yeah, you could believe in Jesus, but unless you were circumcised, you weren't saved. And they had other things that, that were in this list, but the disciples are very clear when it comes to salvation. Look at verse 12. It, it doesn't get any clearer than this. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. That's Jesus Christ. It's not Buddha. It's not Allah. It's not any other name. It's Jesus. Salvation is found in no other name. His death and His resurrection, His exaltation and authority make Him the one and only Savior. He is the only one qualified. No one else makes the cut. Only Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And this is what we need to, to communicate to people because this is the best news on the planet. News doesn't get any better than this. Sometimes when we get good news, we can't hold it in, right? I mean, some, some people, it's like, it's all they can do to get the computer fired up and, and post it on Facebook, right? Good news. For some people, that good news is what they had for lunch. But I, you know, I digress. I, I, I can't imagine, because I've never been in this position, um, but I can't imagine the excitement and the joy that a wife feels when she's pregnant for the first time. And, and, and God has begun creating this miracle. And, and, you know, it's always like, well, let's wait, let's wait a while before we tell people. And then it's like, oh, forget it. I'm just going to tell them, right? I mean, there is this excitement, right? And you have this news. And it's like you tell everybody, right? You tell all of your family. You tell all of your friends. You tell the 
the woman checking you out at the grocery store, you, well, maybe not, I don't know, but it's that exciting, right? And I, I was trying to think about maybe exciting news for a guy that compares to that. I'm not sure there really is any, right? Um, maybe that she said yes. There, how about that? I asked my girlfriend to marry me, and she said yes. I mean, who wouldn't want to tell everybody that, right? I mean, trust me, it's going to be on Facebook in two winks. And if, if you're the guy, you've got to hurry, because she's probably already got it on there, and all of her friends already know, right? But, but, but we have good news, and, and, and we can't help but tell people. It's not that we have to force ourselves to tell people, even if it's a little bit awkward or uncomfortable. We just do. It just comes out. And, and we need to be able to tell people about salvation. And, and I have just a quick, quick, easy way for you. And if you want to, please jot this down in your Bible. Maybe you have a different way of, of doing this. Maybe this is the one that would, that would be good for you. But, but this is kind of how I would go about telling somebody that I'm talking to uh, how I would share the gospel with them. The first thing I would say is that God says that we've all sinned. You know, we, you don't have to look around the world for very long to know that, that there isn't anybody perfect in this world. I mean, just look at the guy or the gal sitting next to you. I mean, we, we know some of their warts. We know some of the things that they've done, the things that they've said, the, the decisions they've made. We, we know. We're, we're, we, we all sin. In fact, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us, none of us um, can, can be equal to God. And, and our sin condemns us to hell. Our sins condemn us to hell. Romans 6.23 says that for the wages of sin is death. Uh, Jesus, when he's talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, says that I have come to save the world, not to condemn it, because the world stands condemned already. We are all already condemned. So God says we've all sinned, our sins condemn us to hell, and sin cannot be erased by good deeds. It, it can't. You can't help enough old, old ladies across the street. You can't get enough Bucky Beaver badges on your, on your Boy Scout jacket. It, you... You can't do it. You can't go to church enough. You could go to church every Sunday of your life and never miss a Sunday and not go to heaven. Only by the name of Jesus, not by the name of the church. It says right here, salvation is found in no other name. So sin can't be erased by good deeds. Paul mentions this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, when he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It, it's a gift from God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. Um, it's not works. Sin can't be erased. But there's good news to this. Paying the price for our sin, Christ died for us. Paying the price for our sin, Jesus died for us. We see it in the Gospels. Uh, we see it all throughout Scripture. It's prophesied in the Old Testament. comes true in the New. So paying the price for our sin, Jesus died for us. And everyone who believes in Jesus will be saved. Paul says in Romans, Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you what? 
will be saved. Everyone who believes in Jesus will be saved. And then finally, as I look at eternal life, if Jesus gives me eternal life, how long is that going to be? It's going to be for eternity, right? So life that's eternal can never be lost. Now, some may say, isn't that a little bit narrow-minded, that, that it's just Jesus? And as I said a few weeks ago, it's not narrow-minded, it's just true. You know, when, when, you get, when you get one of those pre-made pieces of furniture and it tells you how to put it together and what size of bolt to put in what hole, do you just kind of say, oh, throw, oh that's so, these, these instructions are so narrow-minded. I can use whatever size bolt I want to, right? No! Those instructions aren't narrow-minded. They're just true. The disciples proclaim the truth. Salvation is found in no other name. In June of 2006, Warren Buffett, the world's second richest man at the time, announced that he would donate 85% of his $44 billion fortune to five charitable organizations. Commenting on this extreme level of generosity, here's what Warren Buffett said. There is more than one way to get to heaven, but this is a great way. There is more than one way to get to heaven, but this is a great way. Well, we just saw that there is only one way to get to heaven. And that unless somebody tells Warren Buffett that he can't get to heaven that way, what's going to happen when he dies? He's not going to get to heaven. Warren Buffett needs a friend to tell him about the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, he may reject it. He might. But who's to say? He could believe it too. And how would anybody ever know unless they asked him in the first place? Have you, have you ever wondered... Have you ever been watching a TV show or a movie? This is, and you wonder if that person on that that's playing that character on that television show knows Jesus. And have you ever thought maybe I should write them a letter? Yeah, I see some heads nodding. I have. Now I never have. Have you? Have you ever actually written a letter? What would happen if we did? Because, in essence, we would be doing exactly what the disciples are doing. They're casting the truth out to the, to the people. And God is taking that truth and he is, he is implanting into the lives of people and they are believing and He's changing their lives. What if Warren Buffett's going to get like 15 letters from our church this week? Because, now, it may not even get to them, but here's the thing. Okay, they, they may not think us of that, that we're anything. But what do your friends think of you? What do those in your family think of you? What if you were to tell them the truth? What if you were to share with them what God has been doing in your life? What kind of response might they have? I say it's worth the risk. I say it's worth the risk. We aren't afraid to broach the subject about our opinions on who we think is going to win the big event today. We, uh, we aren't afraid to break into a conversation with our opinions on politics or the best health products. You know, you, you hear somebody has a headache or you hear somebody and you're like, oh, I got 
this has worked for me, right? And, and you, you give it to them. And it, I'm that person like, well, shoot, I'll try it. If, if it worked for you, maybe it'll work for me, right? We're, we're never afraid to talk about things that, that aren't incredibly great news. And even the things that are incredibly great news, there isn't anything that compares to eternal life in heaven. Even more important than the message of a cure for cancer to a cancer patient. Think about this. Okay? Person has cancer. You have the cure. Okay? That's good news, right? Okay? But even more important to that cancer patient than a cure for their cancer is a cure for their eternity. Because cancer usually only lasts a short time. But how long is eternity? It's a very, 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 very long time. We need to fight the spiritual battle that happens when we think about sharing not just our opinion, but the truth when it comes to salvation. Because there is a spiritual battle going on. Satan does not want us to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to people. He does not want people to be saved. And we need to fight that battle with all we have and with the Holy Spirit that empowers us to do so. Let, let's... let's Let's close this out. Look at uh, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could do. They wanted almost to condemn the disciples on their association with Jesus, but there's good things going on here and they don't know what to do. They're running out of options. Thousands of people are believing. They can't discredit them because people can see this man that's standing right here. And again, I think it's noteworthy to, for all of us to realize that these men are uneducated, unschooled, ordinary men. And if you think that you can't share the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody because you are uneducated or you're, not, you're, you're an ordinary person, it's just not true. God can, God can use you, can use us, uh, verse 15, so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading, this good, this really bad news that people can be saved in the name of Jesus Christ, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach in all the name of Jesus. So really, all they had left is threats and, and to strong arm them. There's no solution. They're thinking if this gets out of hand, we're going to lose control of, of the temple and everything. They tried to convince the disciples that it was too dangerous to continue. It was too scary. That they were going to end up in jail or prison if that's the worst thing that could ever happen to them. They were going to maybe lose their friends and family. They weren't going to live at peace with all of the religious rulers. They may always be looking over their shoulders. So did it work? Absolutely not. Peter says this in verse 19. Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. 
You don't just get over being crippled for 40, for 40 years. Something miraculous happened here and it happened in the name of Jesus. I love this part. I love it. The, the, they're trying to scare them to death. And the, and the disciples say, we can't help it. We can't help it. Sorry. Sorry, can't keep my mouth shut. Isn't going to happen. Threaten us all you want. Kill us. Throw us in jail. Because you know what? You can't put the gospel in jail. It doesn't work. The message is just too good. The results are just too good. The power available to take the message to the world is too strong. And then we see that people are just praising God and they're worshiping Him and and the Pharisees are thinking it's getting out of control. And God is changing the world. And God wants to change the world of the people who are your friends and your co-workers, who you live with even maybe. It's the most important message that we could ever proclaim. Michael Ramsden, a co-worker with Ravi Zacharias, shared the following true story about a minister from Iran. You see, this was in the past. This, uh, but the the guy that's in prison right now in Iran, okay, he said that he went there right to work in an orphanage, and maybe he did. Maybe that was his only purpose in in going. But because he's a Christ follower. He couldn't help it. (laughs) He couldn't help but tell people about Jesus Christ. And where did it land him? Where did it land him? It just landed him on the front of just about every publication in the world. I think that's some positive press for Jesus Christ, personally. Anyway, there's this guy by the name of Michael Ramsden. Uh, This minister was driving with his wife and they stopped in a small Iranian village to purchase some water. Before entering, the minister noticed a man holding a machine gun and leaning against the wall outside the store. The minister's wife looked at the man's face and the gun, then put a Bible in her husband's hand and said, Give that man a Bible. Her husband looked at the man, his menacing beard and machine gun, and replied, I don't think so. But she persisted. We all need a wife like this, don't we? I'm serious, she said. Give it to him. Please, give him the Bible. Trying to avoid the issue, the husband said, okay, I'll pray about it. As if God is going to say, no, don't give him a Bible, right? That's how we think. He went into the shop, purchased the water, climbed back into the car and started to drive away. His wife looked at him and said, I guess you didn't give him the Bible, did you? Looking straight ahead, he replied, No, I prayed about it and it wasn't the right thing to do. She quietly said, You should have given him the Bible. And then she bowed her head and started praying. At that point, he turned around and told his wife, Fine, if you want me to die, I will. When the minister returned to the store, the man with the machine gun was still standing against the wall. The minister approached him and placed the Bible into his hand. When the man opened it and saw it was a Bible, he started to cry. I don't live here, he said. 
I had to walk for three days in order to get to this village. But three days ago, an angel appeared to me and told me to walk to this village and wait until someone had given me the book of life. Thank you for giving me this book. We have the book of life. And who knows who God has out there in our lives waiting for us to hand it to them. And we will never know. We will never know how they might respond until we actually do. Now this, this minister, it says, he went on to, to boldly and courageously witness for Christ and eventually, along with many other co-workers in the Iranian church, he was martyred for his faith. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter because what he had was of eternal value. Not just for this life. Let, let's hear the word of the Lord this morning. And, and let's, let's look for those opportunities to take a chance, to take a risk, and to put, to put the word of life into somebody's hands and to bear witness to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are... You are just that. You are the bread of life. And I thank you for the salvation that, that I have received and, and the change that you have and are doing in my own life. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to challenge me to be bold in proclaiming this good news without fear or concern or worry of my own defense or reputation. but for the love of people and the desire to see them spend eternity with you and the rest of their life here with you. Lord, thank you for this communion table that we celebrate this morning. And Father, I pray that, 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 that maybe we would just be, Lord, maybe just draw us into you as we worship you this morning and celebrate the sacrifice that you made for us this incredible news. And Lord, I pray that it would just flow out of us and that we just couldn't help it when we're talking to people. It could be family members. It could be children. It could be our own children. Lord, help us to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. In the book of Mark, chapter 14, verses 22 through 25, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, Jesus said, which is poured out.